0: Welcome back to Blammo, a podcast with an exclamation point. This week, I sat with Jeff Carvalho. Jeff is the partner and executive editor of High Snobbiety and Selectism. In other words, this is one of the guys who helped shape the original men's style blogosphere. Jeff and I talked a bit about his love for sneakers, techno music, and how he believes certain trends just won't die. Let's get into it. yep yes so now we're we're happening we're live jeremy thank you for having me on yeah thank you so much so you are jeff Carvalho of highest nobility of I selectism am. of Tidal media of how many other things are you are you on those are all
1: actually the same thing okay or at least under the same umbrella but that's really my focus these days is uh on um on snob yeah i think a lot of people um, may have seen that selectism is now part of high stability. So, yeah. what we've done is really consolidated what was essentially two properties talking about, um, two different things at one point. Right. High stability being really about fast, uh, high fashion, excuse me, about streetwear, about, uh, what's happening within the trend world. And selectism always took a different approach of really focusing on the classics. Um, Products that had some legacy, even if they were new companies. I'm really focused on that like emerging menswear thing that came out that happened somewhere around like two thousand seven. At least that's when we came up.
0: Yeah. And that that's something I definitely want to mention is you are I know that some people do the whole where are they now, but you guys have managed to survive the initial like first freshman class type like blogger group. Right. But have managed to be successful enough to turn it into a legit like digital publishing world, right? And I mean, so that's and thank you for saying that because we we work really hard
1: to where we you know to where we've come today. And if it wasn't for the fact that we were, you know, a passion blog, quite honestly, right? Uh, in the beginnings, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today. But I, you know, it's funny because we always look at what we've done as you know, really coming, I hate to use the word organically, but it did. Like, you know, we just really yeah, worked on telling a story organic. and and keeping a very clear message. I think, but, you know, back to the selectism, high thing. You know, the reason that selectism came into high is because we knew that in order to um, service our readers better, they had to come together. And a right. lot of that had to do with the fact that trend had changed where… At certain points, selectism and high somebody were almost covering the same thing, you know. A lot of that, especially a lot of that, happened around the time you know Givenchy really pushed bulldog you know, that, that high bulldog. <laughs> um, no, Rottweiler, not oh bulldog. yeah,
0: yeah, Rottweiler. You're right.
1: Sorry. You know, and that's <laughs> what I'm getting at is that trends changed, you know, over the last ten years, and uh, what we recognize is that for us to to serve um, our readers best, bring them together. Made it a lot more interesting. I think there's still people that that uh, come to me and say, you know, I, I miss the old selectism, I miss having it sort of as a standalone thing, right? Um, but what you also hear on the other side is you have high snobite readers that are really excited to be hearing about brands that they may not
0: necessarily heard about in the past, uh, right. On Snob. Well, so, let's talk a little bit about that. So, how did you get into this entire thing? Like, and and I mean, because from what I've read, you are Mister Pharmacist.
1: Yeah, I went to pharmacy school. Yeah,
0: you went to pharmacy school <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, what made you you know, because we we've talked beforehand on, you know, many occasions, and I think one of the things I want to talk about is how you you know, again, you went to pharmacy school. I think you were living in Boston at the time, right. and then all of a sudden you 180 and you basically go to starting your own biz. Uh for me or fill in the blanks here for me. Yeah, so I guess for me it was like 95
1: i was at university i was up in north i was up in northeastern boston okay yeah and uh yeah i was in a pharmacy program and before that i really didn't want to go into pharmacy school i wanted to go to art school but that's a big difference yeah you know i had a my dad got sick and i had this Mm. uh this thought in my head that i had to like take care of my family And, and it's actually a really lame excuse
0: i didn't think i could do that as an artist that's not a lame excuse i know the exact feeling wanting to take care of your family you know what i mean (laughs) yeah and it what's interesting is that my dad was fine
1: right and i didn't you know necessarily need to take care of my family at that point um but it did put me in boston and into a program that i really was not enjoying and i was very lucky that about two years into that like the internet kicked off right and literally like what i mean by kicked off is you know, I was in a computer lab typing an email and I saw a guy next to me clicking on a browser. And I, if I hadn't asked him what he was doing, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Really? But I saw, yeah, it, it really is. I've actually talked about this a lot. Like, that's exactly what happened. There was a guy next to me. He was inside of Mozilla or Netscape at that point. Yeah, and, Netscape Navigator. Right? <laughs> and he actually was like, I remember walking over to him and he was like, give me a floppy disk and I'll give you this program. And I was like, whoa, what? Okay. And for about the next 10 hours, I didn't leave that computer lab. I was just lost in this world of what were hyperlinks back then, essentially, right? You click, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'd click into uh, an audio repository, which was, you know, five second clips of Beatles tracks or something. And you're like, whoa, I can I can get this clip and, oh shit, I can take that sound and change the sound file on my, I think I was on like a Mac Performa back then. Yeah. So that when I threw the trash out, like it made some other noise. I'm really aging myself with that conversation right no, now.
0: No, I know exactly. We're using like Market the Unicorn software. Yeah. Oh my God, all <laughs> that stuff.
1: What was I on?
0: I, I was even on like, a, it was a,
1: a message board, which was run by like a, a national Mac user group. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that road, but okay, essentially, <laughs> um, you know, that was the opportunity for me. Like when, as soon as I opened up that browser, I, I was like, this is crazy. I don't know what this is, but this is, going to change something and at that point um i had met another guy at a job i was at who excuse me at that point i had basically said I'm, I'm done with pharmacy school and i right. um changed my major over to journalism because i knew i wanted i knew i was interested in that mm-hmm. and i knew that that was like a reputable degree right i had no intention of using it but quite honestly it was like a way out for me it was like let's get this let's like finish school so you can go out there and actually figure out what's going on. And I got the journalism degree, got a job at like a a health uh, a healthcare startup where I was doing actually ad ops for a little bit. And during that time, um, I had a you know there was a, a coworker of mine was listening to a lot of jungle and drum and bass, which was a music that had come to me in the 90s, in like the mid nineties at university. It was. It it, dance music has stuck to me. It's funny because I didn't listen to like anything poppy when I was like, you know, fifteen or sixteen. I was listening to I don't know Operation Ivy records and yeah, you know, which is not drum and bass, which is not drum and (laughs) bass stuff coming off of Lookout and you know a lot of um, a lot of like Boston punk rock and and I don't know. I found. I think drum and bass what was interesting not to go off on a tangent drum and bass has a very mechanical sound to it. That is not so dissimilar from the rawness that you think you find in like in hard rock or punk rock music. Yeah. And um, I, I found it fascinating and anyway, long story short, we were collecting all of this dance music and sort of archiving it into what was essentially like a list. So this is a journalism project? No, no, this is out of school okay. trying to figure out what, I'm gonna do with my life,
0: right? In the healthcare program,
1: working at this this startup, and there was this kid that it was another raver that worked there,
0: <laughs> right? A guy named
1: <laughs> a guy named Greg, who unfortunately, you know, bless his heart, unfortunately passed away oh. uh, some time ago. But Greg was like, he was also a coder, okay, and that was really interesting because he could actually build a website, and at that point, I could not. Um, and this is like HTML era stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. And he knew how to build like a search database, which was half the battle. Yeah. You know? But we started collecting live dance music all over the world onto this page that we call transcasts and not too far, you know, not too far along. We were like, we should try to do this ourselves. What does that mean? We should try to like broadcast music over the internet for other people to hear it. Now, pirate radio, pirate radio. The thing is to take the thing to like, think about now is nobody had broadband. Everyone was on a dial up. So we were, it was such a crazy pipe dream of ours to think that we could do it. And um, we started building relationships with clubs and and individuals overseas that had um, – they were also doing live events. And they pushed us to do what was our first live internet um, event, which was a 10-hour rave happening in Boston.
0: Oh, holy moly.
1: And we ran it from like 10 p.m. to like 10 a.m. the next day. So it was like 10 to 12 hours long. As a side note to that, like we show up to the party space with essentially two phone routers so that we can run like, you know, 96 (laughs) K baud um, signal, have a backup line. Yeah. And this is like the most telling thing about the internet. This, it was inside of a big loft apartment. And one of the guys that live in loft comes over and he's like, you know, what are you guys doing with these phone lines? And we're like, yeah, we're going to try to broadcast this party uh to australia we, i think we had a partnership with somebody in australia that was gonna essentially live stream it to a day party that was happening there right? okay i mean p- people have to know that like this sounded like am radio right it's yeah it was not fidelity at that point yeah um real player real pl- it was real player <laughs> and um so he comes over He's like you know what's up with the phone lines explain to him what we're trying to do and he says i work for jp morgan chase i have a ISDN like uh banking terminal. Why don't you guys, why don't, why don't you guys broadcast on that? What? And we're like, this is amazing. And for people to understand, like ISDN was you know that was high college speed line data on your phone. Yeah, and it was it was constant. It was constant. constant. You didn't need to use like a telephone line and like you know steal away somebody's opportunity to call. And and I'm sure this is totally kosher. And banking. Why don't you use this banking terminal? Right. And that that was a crazy <laughs> thing. It was. And I remember I, was, I remember being like that is the coolest shit anybody's ever done for us. Yeah. You know? And do, you, then, do you know this guy still? Do you keep up? No. No, no I don't Just know Just a what friendly, good and, You Samaritan. know, it's funny. I don't even remember his name, nor do I think I spoke to him after the event. <laughs> but he came over, dro- drove an ISDN line into the laptop, and we actually were broadcasting infidelity at that point. Because okay. Because the phone line, you know, using a dial-up modem, you could only get to, I don't know, 16, 16K wide or something like that. Yeah. I'll probably get my numbers wrong on that, but. Uh, but he he really helped us. And what was cool about then, you know, this is still like wave one of the internet. It was this idea that it was a little bit of the wild west, and everybody was helping everybody out, and everybody was trying to figure out exactly. Yeah, this is before things got like cutthroat competitive. Totally. Even the servers we were using, there was a a group of guys out of San Francisco called the Beta Lounge, and they were uh, a Wired project. I think they was a Wired Toshiba. Um outfit and what's interesting is you know they had what was the premier live dance music stream globally the it sounded great if you were listening to it on a good connection it sounded great and we call them we're like hey you know we want to do this ourselves can you give us a sense of like what the startup cost is what software we need and the response was like don't bother buying anything we don't use our systems on saturday here's a login go ahead and use ours wow you know and i think that's always stuck with me that's really stuck with me around what we do and sort of how I've moved forward and to where I am today was this idea that like people help each other out if there's a cool idea. Yeah. You know? And we may not know one another, but um, I always found that fascinating.
0: But so st- you're, you're making music, you're, you're broadcasting radio and how does this lead to, was high snob first or selectism first? High snob came
1: in 2005. Okay. And selectism came in 2007. Um, I got the heist in the body because when after the dot com thing ended, so Transcast did not last long. It was right. un, impossible to sustain it. Nobody had broadband, so I went yeah. into I went into like you know private workspace. Is that what they call it? I was in the private private uh, sector. Private sector, I guess. Yeah, I was in the private sector working for uh, a big dot com, and during that time, you know, it's. I had, had written various articles about footwear before, and around 2001, I found uh, a sneaker zine called Sneaker Freaker, which is still around today. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I don't know. I was on like a Crooked Tongues forum, which was a, a very popular sneaker forum out of the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted to know what was going on, you would check Crooked Tongues. I remember buying the first issue, and I actually wrote a story that I submitted in, and they published it. So that was like my first published sneaker article. But, again, I was still in a place where I was like, you know, I want to do something um, within this world, but I need to find my route, Mm -hmm. you know? Again, what it really came down to was just, like, my interests. My interests are always what I want to put forward and work on. Um, And around that time, I met a guy in Boston who happened to also be published in that same issue of Sneaker Freaker who could speak in front of a mic. And I think iTunes had just announced that they're launching podcasts within the tool. And again, it was like okay, this is something. interesting. like, wh- what is a podcast? It's something like radio.
0: This is when Ricky Gervais' podcast was like. This is before Ricky, actually. Oh, this is before. Okay, yeah.
1: this is before Ricky. This was Twit was like the big podcast, right? And
0: Adam Curry had
1: still had a. I think he still has a pretty big po- podcast now, but he was publishing. Mm-hmm. What I found was that at that time, which is probably around like two thousand four, two thousand five, blogs were popping off around streetwear. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go. You can go to uh sites like Fat Lace, you go to um uh Freshness, which is still around, you know, Heisenabidi was around at that point. But those were all blogs that were talking about the product and then moving on to another product. So they would just like They was, were kind of regurgitating press releases in a way. Uh some of them. I would say that be- back then they were essentially not in contact with most brands, and okay. that a lot of brands probably found blogs to be detrimental to their PR um strategies. Yeah,
0: this is this is also before like people are respecting digital media, I would say. Like if you're 100%. a brand they're like, "Oh, you have a website." Oh, okay. 100%. Yeah. And so I knew I didn't want to start a blog. I
1: was like, "I have a lot to yeah. say, but like I don't want to start a blog. I I'm, I'm pretty good on mic and you know, Rob actually was damn good on mic too and we vibed and I essentially just bought like a couple mics and we started taping shows."
0: Yeah, cuz you guys were Basically, and this is very true, there was not any menswear type streetwear fashion podcast at the time at all
1: in two thousand and five like we were you were the first we were i don't even think the men'swear thing had kicked off yet at yeah. that point you know it wasn't
0: even okay to, to like clothes really <laughs> yeah it was it was like the small small subsec
1: I mean that shit's always existed right, but I think like when it became like internet popular and, yeah, you know that that came later um but yeah, you're right, like nobody quite honestly, nobody even knew what a podcast was. Yeah. It was interesting. We got very lucky because we did, and the show was called weekly drop and we had essentially come on and we would talk about what the blogs were writing about, you know, a new, um, Stussy release or a, a new Nike Supreme release stuff. Hasn't really changed quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. we were, and we go, we go deep on it. Um, we brought a sense of humor to it. So we removed like the seriousness of it because streetwear was a, You know, it's an incredible place to be, but it's it's a very close circle in some sense. You know? Mm -hmm. If you wanted to pick up Supreme at that point, you had to go to New York City.
0: Yeah, this is way before the Supreme online store and all that. Big time. If you
1: wanted, um I don't know, if you wanted Bape, like you would have to go to a shop that had it. And I'll tell you right now, in Boston, we didn't really have much of that. And I'm sure most cities didn't, right? So it was kind of a a club in that sense because you'd you know you'd, you'd you'd go to like i don't know i'll give you an example you go to amsterdam pata is an incredible shop there it's run by uh two amazing guys g and edson and you'd show up and you'd introduce yourself and they'd kind of like sniff you out a little bit and then they would like you know they'd tell you what the hot stuff was to do in amsterdam at that point so yeah. it was a really interesting way of connecting but nobody was talking to these guys getting the perspective it was kind of this weird like mystical world of of um, creators and we just brought a voice to it. That's really what we wanted to do. And, you know, some of the early episodes, we had like Lupe Fiasco on when he was still like a hype beast form kid. Yeah. As an example, (laughs) he probably hate me saying that right now, but he
0: was a popular, you know, he was gaining popularity, but he was still on hype beast, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, same thing with like tower, the creator and all those guys, there's lots of rappers who have kind of, you know, really navigated their way via message board for sure. Yeah. And
1: you know, we put out the first episode. I think we got like, uh, I think maybe like I put it on Crooked Tongues. Maybe it showed up on Super Future. Like we just kind of like marketed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think we got like 50 downloads. And we were like, whoa, 50 people actually care. Yeah. More importantly, 50 people figured out how to download a podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's,
0: because there was no like, it was no ingrained no- player, or Stitcher, or any, there was no network at no, this No, back yet. then actually was. So difficult.
1: Back then we were working with. Well, there was a bunch of different players. What was... Twitter was Odeo before? Odeo was a podcast... A podcatcher as well. O-D-E-O dot com. Mm-hmm. Odeo ended up becoming Twitter. Um, After a while. But, you know, there was... Wow. Now Knowledge bomb right there. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, Twitter was originally a pod podcast company. Um, but, you know, we kept putting it out. And we kept... We started calling people up and asking if they'd come on mic. You know, I remember calling... Um, I don't know within streetwear guys like Eric Brunetti who who founded Fucked, you know, yeah, uh, Rick Klotz, uh, who founded Fresh Jive, which is arguably right there with Stussy, you know, at the beginnings. I used to wear Fresh Jive, it's dope stuff, dude. Fresh, <laughs> long live Fresh Jive. Unfortunately, yeah, they're not around anymore. But again, what I'm what I'm getting at is that we were bringing guys on who weren't really talking at that point. You know, they weren't really having conversations about what they did or what their lifestyle and I think that's what Weekly Drop bought, brought at that time was this voice to everything that you were seeing. You know, everything that you were seeing on the blogs at that point and yeah, all the stuff you were seeing on the forums. You could, you know, we were bringing on the guys creating the stuff, guys and women creating the stuff. It was a ton of fun. I think the breakthrough for us with Weekly Drop was when Bun B called. Bun B from UGK, he was listening and we got this voicemail I, think, I want to say we're like 20 episodes in. At that point, Frank Frank Rivera, also known as Frank the Butcher, joined the show and yep. became uh, essentially three hosts. It was an amazing dynamic that the three of us had together. You know, Frank was a kid from Worcester, Mass. Uh, He's Puerto Rican. Rob was like this white boy who had spent time in jail. And, you know, <laughs> I was the older guy by a few years. And, um, and when Bun called, that's, I think, when I woke up to, you know, where the people could are go. listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. So Bun was a huge advocate for us and he really helped push the needle forward. So it was uh we did weekly draw from two thousand and four, I want to say to like two thousand seven or two thousand eight, somewhere around there. Um but like all good things, some of them you know so um we put the show on hiatus. And I think around that time, David Fisher from Heist and Body, uh who's now my partner, we had met at Vegas uh at Magic And we had peace magic, yeah. Rest in peace magic. I think (laughs) is it gone? Uh, well, whoops, (laughs) (laughs) it may not be what it was. Okay, that's for sure. Yeah, (laughs) um, but we had met, and I had always been reading High and He came to me actually with this idea of making an analog property that would cover more menswear, yeah. And I think at that point, the two of us had been growing up, you know, we had you know age a little bit our our tastes have changed everyone's chased. i don't know like, no nope, they definitely people's yep. tastes, tastes tend to change and it's not that we were like putting streetwear aside we were just into other things and we we believed that the conversation around menswear could not exist within the sphere of high snobiety, um because they were two different markets high playing again on this on this trend forward thing mm-hmm. um maybe a younger demo maybe a younger audience and, and selectism really wanted to be a property where we were not paying attention to trend. We were really covering stuff at our own pace. It's it, good
0: journalism too. It I didn't have to shout out Jason fast, Dyke.
1: Who's yeah, I think he's at hype now. Yeah. Uh, best wishes to Jason. He's worked, uh, he worked for a long time with us. Great guy. Yeah. But we were just telling a different story there. We were telling, um, uh, you know, a lot of people say it was a more mature story. I'm not sure it was that. I think it's just a, we were trying to take a model of what we knew worked for one category of fashion and applying it to another. And it just happened that the timing couldn't have been better for us because that menswear explosion came right after that, you know, the recession, if you mm-hmm. think about it, right? Yeah. The U.S. hits into recession. People the whole
0: buy better, buy, or, or sorry, buy better, but buy less, you right. know? And yeah, that, And
1: that very much is what selectism was, right? Yeah. You know, you would come and look at a pair of brogues that probably cost you $400 you're probably buying one, right? And it's going to be with you for some time. Yeah. You know, whereas on Heist and Byte, you may see, at that time, you see four or five t-shirts and you can take them all. So, yeah. you know, there's, 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 there were some differences for sure. Um, and he, I got to give it to David, like he was, he was, he knew it was coming and we were very lucky that we were on top of it. and We were very forward on it. So we um, began really following that Heist and Byte model of covering product with a bit more editorial mm-hmm. um, for what became, you know, hashtag menswear at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's... I think one of the things that was also good about that is you did have an opinion on the product that was coming out. Like, it wasn't just, hey, buy this. Hey, buy this. Hey, It was, this is coming out. We're not that sure about it. Or, this is coming out. And also, you guys would help break, um, like, news on collaborations before things happen. Right. I mean... And so this kind of leads me to my next question, like when did uh, or maybe what era could you say that like menswear, streetwear basically starts to recognize you as a legitimate news outlet, you know? And like, I mean, and not just like here, here's a free pair of shoes, do something about it. But like now, like the name specifically now, for sure, the name has a lot of weight behind it and a lot of push and so i mean w- was there a certain time where you're like okay n- now we're we're getting the respect that we that you definitely earned you know by just continuing yeah. to work I, I think for uh, i'll talk about both sides in general um just
1: because that's where we are today but for high Snobide when we were be- before even selecting kim around as i said a lot of brands saw us as a, almost like a gossip site you know mm-hmm. a place where kids were leaking images of of new sneakers or new shoes or a new product and they hated it. Yeah.
0: Before they realized it's a good thing now.
1: <laughs> right. You know, we would go to trade shows like project and magic and we would be turned away at the door because they didn't understand what we were doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and quite honestly, the trade shows that we got into, we, sorry, we, we got into every trade show along the way there have been bumps where people just didn't understand where, what we did. Um, but once we were inside brands, what we found, especially small brands, they had never had that much press show up to a buyer show. Mm. Right. So they were they were kind of taken number one aback. Uh, why is why is okay, they didn't even call us press. Like, why is this blogger here? Yeah. But more importantly, like when we walked into a booth and saw something we liked, we said, Hey, we really love this jacket. Can we shoot this jacket to preview it? Because they didn't really a lot of small brands did not have a press outlet for a preview, you know? Big brands that do runway and do presentation, they surely got it, right? Mm-hmm. You could go to WWD or or GQ or whatever trades there were at the time, and you could see runway photos, as an example. But smaller brands didn't have that same that same press behind them until blogs showed up, like Selectism and High Heisenbergity. So we would show up to trade shows, and it was incredible. Like we'd go into a booth for. I don't know, like a super sunglasses is an example. Like these guys were a small sunglass brand out of Italy. Uh, they were calling themselves retro super future, which is so Italian, you know, <laughs> and we saw their stuff and we're like, this is, this is dope. They were doing a modified wayfarer doing it their own way. And wayfarers hadn't really kicked off again. No. And I remember giving those guys press super early on. And the next thing you know, like Daft punk's wearing their, their sunglasses or, you know, Rihanna's in their thing. Um, so I think what we've – and again, I'm not giving Selectism or high nobody the credit for breaking a brand like Super. What I am saying is that we definitely offered an outlet for a lot of people in industry to pay attention to other brands that they may not have been paying attention to. And I'm certain that there are retailers across the globe that use us today oh, as, sure. a, as a as a barometer of what they should be looking at next. Mm-hmm. And again, again, for small brands, there wasn't that kind of outlet. Like social media wasn't here. You couldn't, you really couldn't sustain as a small brand at that time um, without being at a market show because that was the only place you could see your stuff. Yeah, and you couldn't engage with anyone. You couldn't engage with anybody. So, what we brought, I think that the brands that understood that we weren't there to hurt their business and that we were there really to kind of open open their market a little bit, they they got it. Yeah, guys like Nike got it. I would say, a few years in you know and i think i use them as an example i remember the first conversation we had with nike where they they said hey listen we 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 get what you do let us figure out how we can work together so that you know um the sh- the schedules that we have work with you guys you know yeah
0: i mean that's huge and i i mean you guys definitely i would say i mean cuz for me cuz i came when i was trying to do my goofy blog this was way later but um you know high snob and selectism really paved the way for getting digital media as like this is this is real media and in in a ways it's much better than print in that you can change it all the time you know mm-hmm. I mean you can and it's it's so fresh i mean versus, oh well, maybe we're gonna put that in next you know two or three issues from now. we can't cover it you guys had the ability to do like this is this came out now like you know or this is. I get it. There, yeah, I think there's a yeah. good and bad
1: side to it. I think what we've learned over time is that, and I think social media and just the internet itself, as it's um, as it's accelerated, mm-hmm. again, we all know this. Like people's retention ha- retention rates are less than they used to be. I mean, retention rates a terrible thing to say, but you know your no, memory no, your memory true. doesn't like stick as much when you have like a hundred things being shown to you. So the the thing well, we try to balance, and again, like our business has also changed compared to then, right? We've learned a lot of lessons, say from from print on how to handle um, how to handle sneak peeks, you know was mm-hmm. it av- is it advantageous for us to show the full collection of a brand new brand six months beforehand? You know how do I then resurface that when it's available in the store? Right? Those are the things that we think about now, where maybe we did let things out of the bag a little too soon. Maybe there could have been a slightly more strategic way of doing it. But for brands that have a product to sell today, which is really where the trend is going right by see now buy now yeah Burberry's doing it I think Tom Ford just did it yep you know they're actually harking back to what we were trying to do with media which exactly. was like show everybody what's available or what's coming and I guess the missing part was that back then you just couldn't buy you had to wait and today it's a very different game in that sense so the way that we work with brands is indeed a pl- is indeed in in a uh in a in a In a a collaborative way so that we can ensure that, first of all, we get to tell the story first Mm -hmm. most of the time. Yeah. And that we also, you know, help a brand be able to push what they have to push correctly, you know. But we're still picking what we want here, right? We're still, like, deciding on what product we want to cover. But when we do decide on on something we want to cover, you know, it's best for us to be able to say, you know, call upon them to, like, send me a product immediately so I can shoot it myself and get it ready to go up. Um, so I think the relationship that we have with a, with brands today is, as compared to what was in the past, is that they just understand us as being that outlet. And um, it, it's kind of crazy. The more we think about it, is that we have really, and not just us, but you know, a lot of the uh, the sites that remain, is that we've been able to turn our businesses around from simply being this blog game into something that's that's bigger, on a variety of levels.
0: Yeah, I mean. You know, definitely bigger. I mean, I'm sitting in a large office. Surrounded right?
1: by boxes of magazines. Surrounded by
0: boxes <laughs> of, well, of, you know, that. And, I mean, because I think in my head, I was like, oh, high snob and selectism, you know, they're, you know, intelligent tastemakers. But it's a pretty, in my head, I was just like, oh, it's probably a small operation. And while we were coming into here, how many how many staff did you say you had now? I mean, if you don't mind. I think globally we're somewhere around 60. And the which majority is, of people sit in Berlin and New York. Which is huge. Yeah, it's crazy. So Berlin. Yeah. Speaking of Berlin, how how did Berlin come into the picture here? Because you, you spend a lot of time there. I do. So Snob was actually started out of David's David's apartment in Geneva. Okay.
1: And at that time I was sitting in Boston. I think he understood more he understood and saw a massive opportunity um in taking this business to a a metro hub somewhere in Europe, and actually starting to build it out, and actually starting to to bring in staff, you know, at that point he was still the only guy blogging, right? He was yeah doing I don't know sometimes sixteen to twenty blog posts a day. Oh man, you know, and there's only so long somebody can do that, you know. And Geneva's not the biggest hotspot for. What street fashion was at that
0: point? No watches, maybe, but maybe not. watch
1: for sure. Watches, <laughs> yeah, not
0: not really streetwear.
1: He had been spending some time in Berlin with friends and working on uh, an an art site called Art School Vets at that point out of Berlin. So he was spending a lot of time traveling um, between Geneva and there. And I couldn't be happier that he picked Berlin. You know we we saw it as a an emerging market for not only. Um, street fashion or fashion or um, but also um, just entrepreneurship as well you know startups that's kind of been going there yeah the economy was perfect for it and quite you know quite honestly building a business in a place like Berlin made it very easy to get talent from all over Europe you know Mm -hmm. so if you go into our office now in Berlin we have a good majority of people that are coming to us from the UK uh, a lot of Australians New Zealand Italy um and quite frankly, Berlin's Berlin is a very economical city. You know, you can you can you can have a nice career and live pretty well in Berlin, you know. Whereas like New York, uh, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. No. New York, New York is is quite expensive as we all know, but it allowed the city really just allowed us to grow and it really allowed us to pull in talent um from, you know, a variety of different places. I think one thing that's really important for us too is that while we are based in Berlin, the office is an English speaking office. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a, that's a good enticer for people too. So um, I couldn't be, again, I couldn't be happier that we're in Berlin. That's, yeah. As a big techno guy, it's perfect for me too.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's another thing I wanted to get into. So I think one of the first times we met, we were talking a bit about, you know, cause I used to work in the music industry and we were talking about you know tech and house and you mentioned it earlier and you know and how important it was to you and like how what what was the bug that clicked that really got you into like house music and because I mean you've talked about it in a way that it's like religious and how it's you know like changed your outlook and almost like meditation wise yeah um I can probably remember the track (laughs) all right was, um, I'll try to link to it at the end of the episode if it's on, or, or is it, you know, this is some obscure called, thing. I
1: think it's original ghost by Doc Scott, which was a drum and bass banger. Yeah. Banger. I don't know. It clicked for me. It clicked for me. I had been going out with some friends. Uh, they invited me to a party. It was late. And I don't know. I think there was something like repetitive about the thumping of it that wasn't that dissimilar from like. The speed of a drum bass, of a drum or a bass guitar, and in the stuff I was listening to before. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it just clicked. It became really rhythmic in me and it was very programmed. Um, a lot of people call it unmusical. I find it to be very musical. And I just found it to be a tempo that I could operate at. And I very, very much just enjoyed the idea that you could get lost in, you know, a four hour
0: set. And not, you know, and everybody, everybody was all right around you. Like, and this is not like da rude stuff. This is not like cheesy. No, 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 no. Yeah. Like, I think you're going to have to educate the listeners here on that. Techno is not, I don't know. Techno is not EDM.
1: I think there are, there's EDM is certainly, you know, made up of components of what techno was. But when I started listening to techno and drum and bass, it was. Um, it was something else. It was just like, it was a real, a real, it was a real alternative, um, to what was being played on the radio. And I remember it was just like, I, for me, it was always just very long runs of it where you could go for a weekend, start at 10 o'clock and, you know, you'd wake up at about 10 AM and realize that you've been dancing for like 12 hours <laughs> in this warehouse, but it was cool. It was just like. It's actually kind of hard for me to describe like that part of it anymore because I actually don't go to that many parties, but I still very much love the music. Right. For me, it just allows me to kind of zone out. The 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 lack of vocals becomes almost like this backdrop to what I'm doing. So for instance, if I have to write, I tend to listen to I tend to listen to UK techno, which is much more driving and uh industrial in, in a sense. It lets me like really kind of like bang things out. I'm not really doing a great job of describing why I'm into this music, but there's, no. there's, there, there is something about how it just moves and flows that I find quite interesting. And yeah. And then it, and, that it, and that it goes for a long run.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the times we were hanging out and you were like, just come in my car real quick. And you, what was the track that you were playing that you were like, this is going to hit right here. Or, I mean, I, I don't know. Cause I think for me and some of this stuff, I, I just try to connect together. in the fact that like you have, you go into this whole small world, which is DIY. We're here to help each other. And then, you know, and the, I I wouldn't say that, that techno music becomes your religion, which makes you get into fashion and stuff, but you very much have always had the sensibility of we're in this together, you know? And I mean, would you say that it was like techno that shaped that? Would you say that it's, you know, or maybe it's just, I,
1: I will. Yeah, I think so. It's, you know, it, it opened the door for a lot of things. It made me interested in something else. It made me interested in not having a day job. I and wanted, validated that, right? Yeah, I was like, wait, can I possibly take this love of mine and apply it to a professional career? Is it possible for me to, to figure out how to listen to techno all day so that I can, <laughs> can make I money on it do this? and get yeah. paid? And that was like the transcast idea. Exactly. And unfortunately, that didn't work, right? It was, But you learned a lot from we it. We learned a it lot It wasn't lot a failure. It. And then, you know, I go from there and then... You know, I've always been into sneakers. In fact, I was like raving in Air Max 97s, you know? So, and then one day I woke up and I was like, damn, I'm actually looking at sneakers and, you know, I have a lot of them. I don't have a lot of them just because I'm into it, uh, because I just want to accumulate them. Like, I actually very much enjoy the, the silhouette and what kind of palette it is, what you can do with a sneaker, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people saw it as a as a it's functional it. utility that you wear. Yeah. There was something else that I saw and I kind of wanted to write about it and talk about it. More importantly, I found other people that were interested in it on forums, you know? And from that, I was like, well, shit, like, how can I possibly go back to working in the tech sector right now when all I'm thinking about is sneakers?" So can I figure out a way of turning this into a job? And that was the idea of the podcast. Again, just a platform. It was was a way for me to get my word out there. Yeah. Because who the hell was listening to me? Nobody was listening to me. Well, clearly a lot were, but maybe not at the beginning. What, What I'm getting at is like, nobody's coming to you... Nobody's gonna give you something like an, on a platter, you know. If you really want something, you've got to work for it, and you've got to find your inroad into that culture. And for me, it was a podcast. You know, I saw just I saw Dante Ross the other day, who's famous for signing a, a, a tremendous number of of um, hip hop legends out of New York, you know, the New York area uh, in the '80s and '90s, and he was listening to Weekly Drop. You know, and for me, why what, what's important about that is that. There are people in this industry that I respect that actually heard what I did and thought it was okay. You know, yeah. they were they didn't see me as some like outsider coming in and like a threat
0: or you know, anything like that. They
1: I we gave back to the culture. Like we were giving we were giving a voice to the culture. And the same holds true with what I'm doing today with Heinz Nabidy. I mean, I'm doing this because I love the I love the I love the the audience that we serve first of mm-hmm. all, and more importantly, I love this discovery of new all the time. And yeah, sure, it used to be sneakers and it used to be uh, Japanese fashion and it used to be vinyl toys. but today it's not about these things anymore. it's really about it's about an individual who wants something else they want they want an alternative to what they find in the mall, and the most exciting thing about Heist and andbieti is you know opening it every day and finding something new where I'm like shit. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, you know certainly there's a lot of other things that we cover, a lot of stuff that I consider to be. Almost like gateway content, meaning there's a kid out there. Let's use an example like Kanye, right? We, we people always ask us, why do you cover Kanye so much? Well, first of all, he's he's an incredible enigma in this culture, right? Yeah, the guy runs on both on both sides of it. He everybody in the world knows who he is, and even the cool guys know who he is, and he has a product today that is hotter than most. You know, his shoes were quite hot. Now the Easy Boost, Easy yeah. Boost, right? Okay. So. We cover Yeezy Boost because we're going to cover sneakers anyways. But more importantly, is there a way for us to tell the story differently so that a kid that does not know who High ID is or does not know what this culture is, if he comes upon it, what can I do to show him everything else? And mm-hmm. that's, really, that's really how I look at it today. It's, there are millions of kids out there that may not be tuned into the stuff that you and I are tuned into. And for better, some people think that's great. I think that there's an opportunity there. I think there's an opportunity to show kids a better, a better thing, not a better way, but like an alternative to what they, to what they may be able to find, what they may not have been able to find before. Right. And you know, if I can get somebody to come into our world and I can show him all the other great things we do, then that's important to me. It's important to me that we're building an audience here that understands that we are an alternative to what you can get from the mainstream today. Even though that we are ourselves growing every day, we are an alternative to the story that everybody else is telling you around this stuff.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you seeing all these trends and all these things that are happening now, and I, I kind of didn't even want to ask this question, but I now I really want to. Of just like, where do you think things are going? Um, in terms of, I mean, we've all seen the trend of made in America to Italian, you know suits and double monks to ninja streetwear, and that's kind of where we're at now we call it goth ninja yeah goth ninja black metal surfwear (laughs) s-e-r-f where do you where would you say that things are happening now because some people are saying that oh i mean just like any trend it's gonna you know slow down and if you the real question is like what has the trend
1: actually ended like this whole made in america trend this whole heritage thing this whole workwear thing has it actually ended yet I'm going to argue no. I'm going to argue that really? like yeah, I think we, while it may not be as front and center on your radar or my radar, you know maybe we've moved on from it and onto something else. Mm-hmm. And we, pro- I'm, I'm sure both of us still apply a lot of that stuff to what we were today. Yep. There's still a consumer out there that hasn't been turned on to this. You know, I only had to turn on what's the show on M- M- uh, NBC with Mark Cuban um, where Shark Tank Sh- Shark Tank right? Loved Shark Tank. <laughs> When you watch Shark Tank and there's a guy um, uh, showcasing or road showing his o- beard oil company, you <laughs> realize that it hasn't hit the masses yet. Yeah, no, you're right. You know what I mean? So I think that like we, we live in circles that are very small and very tight and very niche and very on what's next. Mm-hmm. But there's millions and millions of other people out there that have not been exposed to this stuff yet. And are getting exposed to it. You know, you just you can look at all of the various companies that were making goods during the Selectism era that are still around, you know, guys like Tanner Goods up in uh yeah. Portland, right? They're still they're still growing, you know? And there's plenty of others. They're all still growing because I think what we see is very far ahead from what actually hits the mainstream, you know. So I think the trend of he did air quotes, by the way. I did. <laughs> it's terrible. No, no, the no. The trend, it's good. the trend of of um, of uh, workwear or made in America. I, I just don't think it's a trend anymore. I just think it's like now just becoming more part of the fabric. Quite frankly, I think like guys like Donald Trump, like, uh oh, this is the this is the thing that people. This is the thing that like freaks me out. I mean, this, it's it's insane that, in my opinion, that he got elected. I think it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um. But the one thing he is putting focus on is this like made in America thing, right? Everyone's kind of like thinking, Oh, we're going to bring back all this manufacturing. I don't believe that shit's going to go down, but what it may open eyes to is these smaller guys that are still out there that
0: are developing great product in their hometowns, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. So that is no way supporting uh, Mr. Trump, by the way.
0: No, absolutely not. There is no endorsement of Trump via you or I, um, this pod. So in terms of
1: like, what's next, Here's something I thought about yesterday. Right? Okay, if you look at like what's trending now, 90s are super hot, right? Oh yeah. Okay, when I'm I, wearing 90s 501s right now. There we there go. You go. When when I was coming up in the 80s, like I don't know, uh, I just said 80s. When I was coming up in the 90s, you know, we were looking back to the 70s and the 80s for stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, what was the takeaway of 90s? Like, what was the takeaway of 90s fashion? Like, what will be the fashion that defines like the 2000s? You
0: know, have you thought about that? Like what? Like it's if, mm, '60s Tom Brownish stuff, maybe? Okay, because this is pre Tom Brown getting into streetwear, <laughs> pre pre sweat Tom Brown. So that's a, that's what I think Crop about. it. pants like, today. It's like
1: what when people look back at what's happening in 2000, in the 2010s. Like what are they going to see? Are they going to see us just throwing back to what we did?
0: I don't know. I mean, that's that's a great question, and I mean something we could talk hours about. Good.
1: Um, I think that for me, it's not so much what the next trend is. It's just where the market is going. And I think it's going more and more to small independent guys who essentially, um, sell their wares through platforms like Instagram and and social media.
0: I think, yeah, technology is definitely becoming more and more a part of the entire culture. Like, you know, things like Grailed, which we, we were just talking about. And Instagram and and all of these ways to, to circulate these small goods all over the world. Right. Uh, I mean, the globalization of tiny brands is, I think, is really cool.
1: I think that's that to me is quite interesting. Yeah. It's Where it's the brands that we're not even talking about on Heist Nobody, right? Because they don't shit that product. That product sells out before it even makes it to our page. That's <laughs> the stuff that I
0: find quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like fear of God, but I mean tiny smaller than three. There fear are of brands God. that I can't even name today that are making pretty decent
1: businesses um selling wares on social media that don't have websites that may have a PayPal link or a Shopify link um, that are not on our radar. But they are servicing their customer, they're servicing their reader or their fan
0: and and surviving pretty well. Yeah. I mean it's definitely to me it's a bright outlook. I think there's there's a lot of good stuff that's happening and you know and that you guys will continue to be around for a while longer. I hope so. Yeah, for sure. I mean especially with how you guys are growing and and also trying to maintain this brand with respect respect to what's happened, you know, of in the past and not being stuffy and that like this is a club that you're not allowed in, you know. Um, which I think at least for me, that was kind of my initial interpretation of like menswear in general until I just realized that I have to communicate with people right. to realize that that's not what it is. So, I mean, I, it's a bright outlook, uh, for me. So, I mean, I know we're, we're, we're pretty close to wrapping things up. Is there any other stuff you want to, you want to share or plug? So I'm definitely gonna, I want to put, the some of your favorite techno stuff at the bottom and also link to your old pod because i was listening to it. it's good it's good you You guys were way ahead of your way ahead of your time Uh, it's so
1: funny with 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 techno it's like it's everyone always asks me like how the hell do you get into techno and get into this world there's (laughs) a lot of i can see some similarities there's a lot of people in this business that come out of the rave scene for sure yeah um um I don't know. I think we we just really appreciate that people see us as a credible source for what's happening today. I think it's our job to just get a lot better um at that storytelling and ensuring that um we refine how we do um our storytelling so that it remains, you know, as as correct as possible. Right. Uh the magazine I think is one of the most um fantastic things that we do. It's not the easiest thing to find. Uh, it will get easier. And I'd love for people to, you know, reach out if they're looking for copies because it's, um, I think it's a great read. And I'm going to send you home with. Oh, dude, a, I'm a, down. A baggie of them. But, All right. No, man, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Jeremy. Yeah. Thanks. And hang so out.
0: Much. This is good. Cool. I right, we'll do it again. All right, later. See you. You've been listening to Blammo, a podcast with an exclamation point. I want to give a thanks again to Jeff Carvalho for coming on. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at blamopodcast or send me an email at blamopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. See you next week.